You think you're set and like, oh, I have my good friends or I'm married or I have my family, but then, Mm -hmm. you know, your parents die. Or you think, oh, I have these kids this age and I want to be friends with moms with kids that age. That's very fleeting. I mean, at the time, it's you're all about it, but it does change very fast. And I just think that was a myth when I was younger. think I would be all set when I was a grown-up. <laughs> I'm not set. And like my needs change and sometimes you're weeding out people and sometimes you are seeking out people. Life gets easier if we figure it out together. Welcome to The Lisa Show. Okay, so you have childhood friends, friends from high school, friends from college, and all these friends kind of remind you of a certain time in your life. They remember those other versions of you, right? Funny memories, you share inside jokes, or even poignant life-turning events. They lived through the experiences with you. They witnessed it, what it was like to grow up where you grew up, to go to the high school during those years that you went. They were in that city you grew up in, and it's a very connecting thing. All of the insecurities, the emotions, the first experiences, the formative experiences, you have them or experience them near the same time and it bonds you together. And then you grow up. (laughs) And as an adult, your life is just different. You choose to partner with someone, have kids, maybe not have kids, get a partner, uh, get a different career, maybe more school or training. And as you move and travel, maybe you get divorced or remarried or just life happens. And some things you planned on, some things you didn't, but suddenly you're not going through the same things with the same group of people at the same time anymore. There's just too many variables and differences, or it's just hard to stay in touch. You know, you mean to you lose time, but everybody's busy. And yes, you may have your old friends or your childhood friends that you kind of go in and out of touch with them, but your life and your needs are different. Your time is different. So you might move and not know a lot of people or start raising kids and your life and how it used to be and how you use time is suddenly different or you're successful or maybe not as successful financially than some of your friends, just everything changes, that's life. So making friends as an adult becomes an effort. Time, money, distance, distractions, energy, all things we rarely thought about as kids seem to stand in our way. So is it worth the effort? And how do you make friends as an adult? I wanted to ask the Council of Moms why it's so hard to make friends as an adult and how they've done it. Here today we have Katie Craig, Amy Bingham, Casey Faulkner. And I think this is really a timely topic. I was just, I kid you not, scrolling on social media this week and saw somebody that talks about like body image and stuff like this, like completely unrelated, said, why is making friends as an adult so hard? And it just showed her saying, I'm going to this new yoga class, like wish me luck. I want to make new friends as an adult. And I just thought, oh, this is so funny. I thought this was just in my little sphere, but apparently it's everywhere. And so this idea of it is hard making friends as an adult. Has that been your case? When I've had interactions with people where I'm making friends as an adult, I think it goes better the more stripped down I am. Like the sooner I can get to the real, the sooner we're going to be friends. Oh, like you have to be totally honest with them, like no fake friends. Absolutely. Like I feel like as an adult, there's less time for fake friends and for like, oh, we're just going to talk niceties and this is a friendship and we're going to give it time to develop. I feel like the sooner you can get to like, let's talk about real things, then that's going to be a real friendship. Yeah, I agree with Katie. I don't have time for a lot of friends. (laughs) This might surprise you. (laughs) But yeah, like my time is spent. I have four kids. I have work that I do. So I don't need people to just hang out with. So I think I want like true friends, real friends. So you have to vet them on social media first. (laughs) Or you have to meet them like in a place where you have a common interest. Like I think it'd be great to meet a friend at yoga because if you're into yoga, you want a friend that's into yoga, right? Yeah, sure. Because then you know that you're going to have an activity that you like to do together. You don't have to talk somebody into it. Yeah, that's right. We met in a book club. Well, 
we sort of became closer friends in a book club. We all knew we had similar interests in that way. So that's great. It's like you already know we're at least at this level. You know, it's not like just walking into high school on the first day, which none of us really want to do that again. No. Thank you. This is something that I really, really care about. This is my wheelhouse, Lisa. I love it. <laughs> but I think it's interesting because as kids, right, as teenagers, we're kind of thrown into this social structure that makes sure that we make friends or not if we're not successful at it. And then we tend to go about and like maybe get married or do, you know, things. And then then we meet our couple friends or that kind of situation. And then life throws turns at you and you have to figure out how to make friends again. And it's really, really hard. I think one of the best things that we have is as much as people criticize social media, social media is a huge thing because I think the most important thing for making friends is putting in the time and the work. And that's what I think gets overwhelming because you're like, when do I have time to go out with so-and-so? When do I have Mm -hmm. time to do this? You have to make the time and then you have to meet a bunch of people because guess what? There's not going to be a lot of people that you connect with because they're not going to have the same personality or the same sense of humor or whatever. And then you have to create opportunities to have social interaction. And then you tend to gravitate towards those same people. I think my friends and I really, really stay in contact through like Facebook Messenger. It's just as simple as sending a message every day and just being like, what's going on? Yeah. And connecting that way. And then we can make plans to do stuff. But you do have to put in the time and the work. And that's the hard part, especially for introverts or people Mm -hmm. who are like, I just don't want to do that. I'm not a social person. But Mm -hmm. even to have those like base friends, those basic friends, I think you have to put yourself out there. And you bring up a good point because life circumstances change your friends, whether you think that they're going to or not. Some people have like friends from childhood, right? right? Like, oh yeah. And and I grew up in the same house. So I have friends that I went through kindergarten to high school with. Now I'm not super close Mm -hmm. with everyone, but some of them are, I am, but different life events, like when you get divorced or like when I lost my spouse, Mm -hmm. I was really surprised that my friends and friend group kind of, or even the dynamic sort of changed. And I had to make a little bit more of an effort. And some friends I was like, oh, those were my spouse's friends. And it's no shade to anyone. Like, where are you? It's like, oh no, that was the driving force. And so now it's different Mm -hmm. and you feel that kind of void. And I don't know, that's been kind of uncomfortable for me because if you are single, maintaining kind of those kinds of friendships, you have to sort of think about like being a third wheel or being a fifth wheel. You know, I go out with some of my friends and I'm always the fifth wheel. And sometimes it doesn't bother me because I'm just with my friends and it's so great, but every once in a while it does. And that affects your friendship. Definitely. I think when I met my like core group of friends after I got divorced, we were all kind of in the same situation of being single and divorced and going through the same situation. And now everyone's getting remarried and oh, now wow. they're in couples, <laughs> not me, but you know, right. and so then it, then it shifts. Everything shifts. We have to see it as like not an ending or like, mm-hmm. I'm not friends with that person anymore, but maybe they take on a different role. And hopefully you can keep those friendships that you've had. But you need that person that you can text in the middle of the day and be like, do I need to go to the doctor for this? Yes, whatever, yes. You know? yeah. Whatever it is, <laughs> you need to have those people to, yeah. I think those are the best kind of like relationships. So, Yeah, it is always shifting. You think you're set and like, oh, I have my good friends or I'm married or I have my family. But then, mm-hmm. you know, your parents die. Or you think, oh, I have these kids this age and I want to be friends with moms with kids that age. That's very fleeting. I mean, at the time, it's you're all about it, but it does change very fast. And I I just think that was a myth when I was younger. I think I would be all set when I was a grown-up. <laughs> I'm not set. And like my needs change and you have to be, sometimes you're weeding out people and sometimes you are seeking out people mm-hmm. and you have to have like a little bit of wisdom to know what you need because you don't have a lot of time and you do have to make a concerted effort. Uh, not now because I am in a room with people who I love totally, but I've found myself in stages of life where I'm like, 
killing myself, rearranging and doing things to be with people that I'm like doing stuff I don't want to do that yeah. I don't yeah. even like. <laughs> and so that's, I think, really part of growing up is to like figure out what you need and what you want. You don't always know what you are going to need either. Yeah, you can't predict a lot of it, just yeah. like you can't really predict so life. It is so it's always evolving, you know, like mm-hmm. like Amy said. And I, this is why I just never like call people out or define the relationship or anything like that because you want to ebb and flow. Like maybe I'm going to need you. Maybe we haven't talked for five years, but I might need you. So (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good point. I felt like, oh yeah, sometimes life is rough. So if someone doesn't call me back or text me back or I think, oh, they had a party and they didn't invite me, I think, yeah, because that's how life works. Yeah, and you got to be forgiving. Try, they might yeah. have a different need right now. Yeah, and they might yeah, need something totally different, and they probably do. And so it has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's interesting to think, too, about, like you mentioned, that sometimes our friendships come from where we are or what we're involved with at the time, which as we get older, then our our interests or the things that we're spending our time on may change. But that also is an opportunity for us to find other people who have similar interests or who might be in a similar phase or who might be experiencing similar things. But if we're having a hard time or feeling like, I don't have any friends, I don't have this or that, maybe we need to look at what we're doing and think, is there an interest I need to do? Mm -hmm. Is there um, a club I need to join? Is there a class I need to take? And one of the side benefits would be we would engage with more people in another Mm -hmm. way. What is the weirdest or the coolest way that you've ever met a friend as an adult? It's not that weird, but you might not expect it. I think we've talked a lot about how I teach adult literacy through a program called Project Read. And these are people who can't read or have dyslexia or English as second language, a very variety of things. And I'm their teacher and all of that, but they are my true friends. <laughs> There's one who brings me a soda from 7-Eleven every single day. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a good friend that <laughs> <And> knows you. <laughs> there's a group of them who, when my dog died a year, about a year ago, I told them and I cried and they cried too. <laughs> it was like this really beautiful moment with these people and they're, they're my friends. So I got some good friends teaching people how to read. That's so cool. Yeah, I think the same. I take on a hobby or even just like I have a part-time job teaching piano lessons at a center, not at my house, because I don't think I would meet a lot of people that way other than kids. (laughs) So you just get to interact with more people. You get, yeah, exposure to more people. And I think find a way that you can be a little bit social. We just can sometimes get so isolated, um, especially now after coming out of like two years of, yeah. of isolation. So just find a way that you can get out there and start talking to people. And for me, because I'm single and I've been divorced for a while, I know this is silly, but I have met quite a few good friends from like dating apps. For real? Yeah, for real. <laughs> I know it's not crazy. And let me no, be I, clear, like hopeful. 90% of them were not friends, <laughs> but a few people who, you know, you connected with, but it just didn't go anywhere. And I really do have people that I still like hang out with and go to lunch with like five years later. So you just never know when you're going to meet people. But again, I think the key is you have to put yourself out there. And that's so hard. It's so hard. It, we don't it, want it. We want to stay in our safe little bubbles. I was going to say it means more coming from an introvert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And just like life is so hard and unpredictable and we have so much going on that we just want to get in our bed and watch Netflix and not worry about going out with some. Every time I go out with someone, I get stressed out, right? Like stage fright. I just am worried I'm going to say something stupid and you don't want to feel that feeling. Yeah. And then it's always fine. But you have to get through that initial like, oh, I'm going out with a stranger or, you know, I'm going out with people and I'm not in the mood and all of that stuff. So I don't know if that's my advice. It's hard though. <laughs> Push but once it. you get to the point where you have that group though, that's everything. See, it's that everything. is everything. It's worth, it, really it's worth is. it. It is. It's worth it. Yep. I took an online midwifery class <laughs> and there were women from all across the country and they were lovely. It was really wonderful. And you kind of have this thought like, I wonder if I would ever, if I would ever see any of them in person because they're literally across the country. 
and one of them who was living in Vermont moved to Alaska and then happened to be in Utah. She was like, I'm actually in Utah. And it was, you know, an hour and a half away. But I was like, I'm driving up to see you. We're going to have dinner together. Because, again, like, when am I going to see you again? And and how fun it is to see someone in person that you've made a connection with, you know, in this class. And I feel like it was the beginning of a friendship that was like, it took a little effort, like a drive, but it was really fun. And now it's a real thing. it's tricky to make friends. And I found Amy Dodder's way of making friends as an adult very fascinating. She used social media, but in a way most of us rarely use it. So I wanted to know how it worked, how she got this idea, and if it could work for some of us as well. So tell me about your friend, Dana. Well, I met Dana at a summer camp in 1986. I was 18. I think she was 21. We spent about six weeks together and I think we got really close, but you know what? The details pretty much are lost on me. So we made a connection. We went on with our regular lives for 30 years and we reconnected on Facebook. You know, I had always kind of had her name in my head and thought whatever happened to Dana. And then one day I found her. And so I friended her. I looked at her page And I went on and I realized right away she had a bunch of kids. She had four daughters and one son. And the son, Parker, was 13 or 14 years old at the time. And he was at St. Jude in Memphis fighting cancer. So we reconnected. He relapsed. And I suddenly got the idea. I was like, you know what? I'm going to start writing them letters because I'm a writer. And I just felt compelled to do something the second time he was in Memphis. So I started writing Parker and Dana letters every week. And that went on for about six weeks. And then sadly, when Parker was 15, he passed away from cancer. So the letter writing, I thought, well, that's off now. What am I supposed to do next? So I did. I went to church. I prayed. I was like, what am I going to do? I was like, I kind of got a clear message. What am I going to do? And it was like, keep writing the letters. So I kind of stalked her, found her husband's law office address and started sending the letters there once a week. I continued to write her. And about four months into it, she started to write me back. We became pen pals in 2015, which is highly unusual. We shared our feelings. like It became like my weekly diary to Dana. And so she shared her grief. I shared things I'd never shared. And we had this trust that was completely unfounded because we knew nothing about each other in the real world. And about, I guess, five or six months into that, Lisa, I thought, you know what? This is life-changing. And if this one Facebook girl, who I don't even really know where she lives in South Louisiana, can be this life-changing, what happens if I write everybody? So and I, when everybody, you mean all of your Facebook friends? Right, all 580 of them. And so I put all their names in a box and I started every day drawing a name out of a box and handwriting that personal letter. And, and then I would go find their address. And then the best part was just dropping the stuff in the mail and people didn't even know it was coming. And it took almost two years And I wrote everyone and it changed the entire trajectory of my life, of my heart, of my family's life, and probably the greatest adventure of my life through the U.S. mail. Okay, so tell me what your friendships look like now. What's the result of all of those handwritten letters? You know, I'll tell you what, what shocked me, you know, was the depth that people felt in being individually reached out to, you know, and I was clear in the letter. I was like, dear Lisa, I'm writing all my Facebook friends a letter because I gave a little snippet of Dana, you know, of uh-huh. how it happened. Yeah. But even though I told you, hey, Lisa, I'm writing everyone, including <laughs> the people from seventh grade band where I had a bowl cut sure. and we were all dorks. Yeah. Sure. That, was, that was the Good best. Times. You know? yep. Good Party times. Yeah. Good times. And like, we're totally random, you know, but these people, they felt so, I think it's because of social media, they felt so strongly about being individually reached out to, that they were just bowled over the level of emotion and response I got. I got so many personal letters, messages back where people shared things, kind of in the same way that Dana and I shared, because they just needed to be individually connected with. And the amount of warm hugs and you know cards and Christmas cards I've gotten from people who just felt it was just so special. It was almost magical because I think it really, it's not about my words or my letters. It's about an individual connection in the world where we're all connected as a group. And it is so powerful. Wow. I I just wonder how I would react if I got, you know, a letter like that. And, And I'm sure some people responded and some people didn't. Have you maintained some of those friendships? Have they become like a close friendship, like in your inner circle? 
Right. Yes, some have. And, you know, that's what's interesting about the topic that you're discussing is, you know, how to, you know, especially when your kids get older and you're done doing the school thing and how do you connect? And we've moved around a lot. So that's an impact in my relationships. And what I found was on one hand, I can't be friends with 580 people. That sounds obvious. There was a certain level of guilt when people would tell me, you know, in mass, these details and I could respond, you know, once or twice in a way that was friendly and I did care, but I could not have an ongoing one-on-one relationship with all these people. And so I felt guilt from that, but I did connect with a few people, you know, we deliberately had lunch or went out to dinner and that those became in life, real relationships. So I think that is an avenue, social media. Yes, it's flawed. Yes, it can be borderline, even dangerous to our self-esteem, but there is a <laughs> jump off point. There's a launch point that we can be in a real relationship. You know, there is value. There's great value in it, I believe. So one of the letters that you had sent is not only an offering of connection, but I'm sure that it was returned. Is there a story that stands out in your mind of like, oh, this is what this project was for. This is what it brought me. Well, there were so many moments where, you know, when I was in college growing up, we wrote letters still before social media. And there were so many letters I got back where people just felt compelled to catch me up on 25 years of their life. And those were beautiful moments because it was almost like we were going old school. But I think, you know, one of my, if I was going to pick, it's hard to pick one story, but I had a friend who I had met at camp and she was one of those people who was just gorgeous. She was all put together and I was almost intimidated by her. I was like, why am I even friends with you? You know, and, and I reached out and said, I'm so glad we're sort of, you know, because what happens to you write about what you're grateful for and your grateful meter goes off the charts. Because what are you going to say to some of these people? Thanks for being my friend when I was a dork. I said that a lot. <laughs> and, you know, and so I said to this girl, I'm so glad we're, you know, still we're connected through camp. We're part of the same camp family. I've always, you know, really admired you. And that's all true because, you know, you're put together. You, you seem to have it all together. You always had all of us together. And uh, like I said, I was kind of intimidated by her. And she wrote back and she was so honest. She was like, you know, I was so surprised that you felt such a closeness to me, that you felt that you had such respect for me or whatever. She said, because I always felt like you kind of didn't like me. And I think that was a complete reflection of my, I was intimidated by her. And that came across to her that I didn't like her. And that was life-changing to me. That was not really a favorite story. It just blew my mind because I was like, you know, my awe of her came across to her is that I didn't really care for her. So that's just one story in literally hundreds of stories of one, I assumed things that were wrong. Two, people didn't have a perfect life. Mm-hmm. Three, people remembered stuff about me and just such a warm connection that people would say something good about you. And I think the biggest takeaway, Lisa, was especially in this divisive society we live in now where you're, you know, somebody's a liberal and somebody's a conservative. Somebody's a this, somebody's a that. Mm-hmm. Somebody's, a, you know, identifies with this and somebody identifies with this. And I wrote a lot of these letters during the 2016 presidential election. And when you reach out to somebody who maybe is across the aisle from you politically or, you know, issues of religion or whatever we want to do to separate each other, and they return it, they reply in kind, none of that matters anymore. I came to realize that maybe the hope we're so desperate for is sitting right next to us or at the other end of a screen or at the other end of a phone because that's where the hope really is. You know, and the world wants to suck that out of us. But over and over again, I realized there was such hope in my people. My 580 messed up, beautiful, you know, <laughs> wonderful, nice. hilarious, like random, bizarre stories that are individual people. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I think you're right. People are looking for hope. And you have found it in those connections and in those people. Does this change the way that you interact with people in real life when you meet people either casually or your established relationships? I think it absolutely does. I think it it added a depth to a lot of my relationships. And then I think I look at 
Well, I mean, you can, we can all say this because I think it's a really interesting conversation is how we accept friends on social media. Yeah. You know, what, what are our parameters? Because what I found out about myself is of my 580 people I had at the time, like, okay, I met you at a wedding, Lisa, like your yeah. daughter got, got married to my cousin's <laughs> friend and we sat in the back and cracked each other up for like 45 minutes. Then you danced. I was like, wait, I have ribbons in my purse. Let's go. You know, and then, <laughs> oh, and then I, I want to party with you. Yeah. yeah sure. And then so, and then so then I write you a letter. And so, so then it makes you think, you know, what are these connections about? And are we really friends if we met for 15 minutes? Probably, you know, but it, it does make me think when I meet people now, it puts it all in another perspective hmm. because I kind of ask myself, well, do you want to write them a letter? And even though I'm not, I'm not actually <laughs> writing letters anymore, but yeah. it's not about being letter worthy, but what would you say? I mean, what would you say? Would you have anything to say? Because I struggled with some of the letters on, on what to say. I got really good at writing letters. I could have written a letter to my plant because yeah. I got good after 500. You could, you could pretty much come up with something for everybody. But I think it's not about being letter worthy, but would you have something meaningful to say to this person? And so how do we define relationships and friendship? I mean, what does it mean? Yeah. And what's our opening line, right? When you're trying to become friends with somebody or connect with them. I love that you have a really great opening line of, hey, I'm doing this thing. I'm writing this letter to all my... And I think that that sometimes we overthink it of how we make those connections. And if you just got a a letter out of the blue that said, hey, I was thinking about you. We haven't connected for a long time and I wanted to say hello is all you need to do. Right. And I think following those urges of doing that. And I think that's kind of the message of the story that just kind of happened to me. And it really did. And it's all of our story because we're all connected to all these randomly, seemingly random people. But you don't have to, we don't have to write 580 letters. That's extreme, you know, but right. just reaching out individually to one person, however you want to do it, Facebook Messenger, text, phone call, because we're also individual. We all communicate in different ways. So we don't need to do it the same way. We need to do it our way. But I think what you find is the person who reaches out probably is more changed than the person who gets reached because it just gives you hope, you know, and I think just reaching out to people individually, I think that's maybe the message here is that's where the hope is, is that we reach out to each other individually in our own way. You know, we, I think we live in a world where everybody wants a blueprint and there's not a blueprint for human interaction. You know, it's very random as it should be, as we are. I have had my own really unexpected way of making a friend as an adult in a dramatic way, I think. (laughs) I was living in Dollish, England with my late husband and my two little boys at the time. They were three and one. And I'm an extrovert, (laughs) big surprise, an American living in England for the first time. And it's really unusual because I felt immediately that everything was just a a little bit off. It was a a culture shock for me, right? Like we speak the same language, these countries, everything should be the same, right? Well, it's just not. And it's already uncomfortable to be an extrovert in a lot of ways in America and even more so in England, I found out, and even more so in a teeny tiny seaside town that existed like really as a retirement area for a lot of people. So during these rainy, it gets dark at 3.30 after nap time (laughs) days in England, I was so desperate for friends. I needed some connection. This was in the day where like I could only get the internet for three hours a day at the end of the day, and it was really slow going. And so like connecting, I still connected like with packages in the mail and letters. I mean, this is the olden times. <laughs> so as I was this, uh, you know, awkward American, I went to all the playgroups. In fact, I met this mysterious couple at a playground right when we moved there. And I explained, you know, they everybody gave me the, you know, same look like, why are you here? Like, not like, oh, why are you here? And I'd say, oh, well, my husband's doing a graduate degree. And, and, and what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm taking care of these two adorable children. And this mysterious couple who I never saw except for the week I left, I, you know, moved back to America, which I think is so funny, told me, oh, there's all these play groups for people who are taking care of small children, parents and grandparents, and you should hit them up. And this man told me, okay, so you go to the Catholic playgroup on Mondays, they have it, and this is where it is. The Protestants are on Tuesday. The community center is on Wednesdays. 
And so I was like, oh, this is it. I'm in. And so I went to all of the playgroups. I chose all of them to give away for my kids just to run around. They'd play on equipment that they would have inside when it was raining. They had books and song time. It was awesome. And they were all free. And so I just showed up to all of them. And then most people were content just to watch their kids or grandkids just play quietly. And they would just sit there. Not me, surprise. And one woman, Jenny, I'd seen her in a couple of places. It's a very, very small town. She sat next to me with the Catholics, I believe. And I asked her about herself. And as soon as she told me, oh, this is my kid. Oh, yeah, I have kids about your age. Oh, I also just moved here this week. I said, me too. Let's be best friends. And of course, I wasn't joking, right? Like I was absolutely serious. She looked at me like, who are you? Why would you say that? Now, that's a weird thing to say in America, but I would come to find out that it's an even weirder thing to say in England. Now, you know, luckily for me, she was amused by my enthusiasm and she humored me. And this was my friendship. And Jenny became invaluable to me. She was really funny and smart. She had really great stories and she was really, really kind. And so our kids were the same age. I watched her daughter one afternoon a week when she worked and she insisted on paying me, which we used for weekly McDonald's trips because they had banana shakes, you guys, and they were amazing. She taught me about England and the unspoken customs that I was constantly breaking, which luckily she found really amusing, which is a lot of my adult friendships, me just fumbling my way through life and then my friends being amused by it. She talked about like chatting up strangers, like you should not do that. What to talk about? Because I wanted to talk to everybody, you know, at all the little shops along the high street. And she's like, you talk about Big Brother, the, you know, the TV show or football which is soccer. And obviously I'm not a sports gal. So I knew, oh good, I can talk about TV all the live long day. So I will watch Big Brother. She gave me tips on how to grocery shop, what foods to try, what a cuppa was. Everyone was always asking me at all these playgroups, do you want a cuppa? And I was like, I do a cuppa what? Like, I don't know. Because I didn't drink coffee and I didn't drink tea people would look at me like, what? And they would literally say all the time, what do you drink? And Jenny would interpret for me and she'd be like, she's Mormon, she drinks water, she drinks Diet Coke. <laughs> like that's what we drink. She totally laughed at me and made fun of me because I boiled water in the microwave and not in a kettle. She'd never seen anyone do that. I wore makeup every day. She would always be like, why are you so fancy? And I was like, is that fancy? Um, and she was really curious about why I wanted to talk to everyone. And I just was like, because I'm curious and people are fascinating. And I just, and I think I can't help myself. She was totally fascinated that I didn't drink alcohol, which is, you know, the favorite pastime in England. And let's face it, America, she'd never met a Mormon. So she was really entertained by my little boys. She was obsessed with Donny Osmond. And she about died when I told her that he lives in my city and that I saw him once at a parade. <laughs> she was so sweet. She humored me. And when on Halloween, I wanted to throw a Halloween party for the neighborhood kids, right? And because Halloween is our favorite holiday in our family, it's totally an American thing, but they had heard of it in England. So I was like, I am throwing a Halloween party for all the neighborhood kids. And they were not impressed. She laughed through the whole party because I tried to get the kids to eat dirt and worms, which, you know, are just crushed Oreos and gummy worms. And they thought I was serious and it did not go well. I told spooky stories. They just didn't get it. And the harder I tried, the more Jenny laughed. No one would humor my American little boys when I took them out trick-or-treating right? So I remember like I took my little boys, they were in matching Superman outfits to say trick or treat. And a woman, an old lady who knows better, who's probably a grandma, slammed the door in our face and said, we don't do that. And I was so distraught. My kids looked at me and no one would answer the door or humorous. And I knew I could count on Jenny. So I walked all the way to her house. It was only like seven o'clock, but her kids were already in bed. It was dark. And the kids still with hope in their eyes said, trick or treat. And I looked at her like, you have got to help me out. Like I have got to give these American boys a trick or treat experience for Halloween. And she didn't have any candy in her house. Certainly not anything snack sized. And so she rummaged through and found a jelly donut for each of the kids. And they thought they had hit the jackpot. I mean, she literally saved Halloween. 
Jenny and I were different in the way we lived our lives, in our life experiences, but we had so much fun together. And she really saved me that year, all because I had, you know, been really enthusiastic and asked her to be my best friend when we first met. She later told me that her husband thought that from what he knew about Americans from TV, that I must have been A, a cheerleader, and maybe B, I was hopped up on cocaine because... (laughs) I was so positive and enthusiastic, even though, quote, I had no reason to be, unquote. Some of those things are the same. They just, you know, translate across countries and different cultures. But for the record, obviously, I was neither of those things. But I was terribly depressed. So joke's on you, Steve. But that tells you how much I really just didn't fit in this loud, positive American mom who just needed to be around people and to laugh. And her friendship is still to this day, I would do anything for her and for her kids. And we keep track on social media and stuff, but our lives have taken us across different countries and in different ways. We cried when I left, and we just stayed in, in touch, but man, what a great friend when I was so desperate for one. Now, to summarize, my approach may be unusual, but it was direct and clear. We moved to the same town in the same week, and we have kids the same age. We should be best friends. Now, you can try that, right? There's a lot of reasons why making friends, I think, is hard, even for a fancy, enthusiastic Seems like she might be on something. I'm not extrovert. So it just is a great testament to me and a funny story about how, you know, we're all looking for it. She needed a friend too. She would have never said it in the same way, of course. But that kind of friendship and connection can be found in a lot of different ways. With these different ways to make friends, what kinds of friendships are really important and lasting? And is it really worth all this effort? I sat down to ask my friend, Jenny Barlow. Do you think it's worth the effort to make friends as an adult? I do think it's worth the effort, but I think it is great effort. And I'm excited to have this conversation (laughs) with you because I'm excited to see, hear your point of view and my point of view about making friends as an adult. It's hard. It's, it, it is that effort. And so first thing that comes to your mind when I'm like, how have you made your friends as an adult? So I choreograph, as you said, and direct for a lot of local theaters here. And a lot of my adult friends I have made through my workforce and through creating and bonding with people in that way, which is an interesting way to make friends and a lovely way because it's not just creating a friendship together. It's often creating art and Mm -hmm. creating stories and creating memories, not just for ourselves, but for a cast or a community or a theater. I would say that's the majority of the friends that I've made as an adult because I also teach ballet during the day. So I'm with children a great deal of the time, who are lovely, but they are not my friends. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> totally. And don't you think that there's something unique? I think people can sense it about the arts. It's like it accelerates the process of friendship because you are creating art together and it's such an intimate sort of relationship. Because I just think if you're in a show together with somebody or you're cast in a play or a TV show or whatever it is, there's just, you're together for an intense period of time. And it seems like those friendships seem a little bit different than would work, say, like if you were a bunch of lawyers going together, working in the same office or statisticians, or I don't know how statisticians (laughs) make friends. (laughs) But it does seem that there's something that accelerates that. Has that been your experience? For sure, it's been my experience. And I think it's because you're coming together with a similar passion. So there's, even if you don't know the person you're going to work with in that environment, you share the same objective and passion for what you're doing. And so you're coming into it with the same excitement, the same energy, and you're excited to see how the collaboration is going to come together. And it's it's a special friendship, I think, a really special bond. I feel very grateful that my career and my social life are so intertwined and that It's all about creation and creativity. So tell me about an experience that maybe it wasn't just like so easy, but maybe you saw someone outside of, you know, a creative pursuit that you were like, I want to be friends with them or or how that happened. I think for me, it's a little harder for me in my neighborhood to create friends, not because my neighborhood 
isn't full of lovely people. It just goes back to what you said in the introduction, which is my schedule is so different. I work a lot at night. I teach in the afternoon and I work at night. And so when other people come home from work, often I'm leaving for work. But I see lovely people. I'll drive by a house and I'll be like, oh my gosh, they painted their door periwinkle. I need to know that person. Yeah. Like I, whoever <laughs> right. lives in that house, I've got to know. And I think in those instances, it is a bit more intimidating for me because I do feel and have always felt a little different being an artist. And even though I'm a very social person and I'm an extreme extrovert, <laughs> I get a little intimidated by what I call people that have real jobs, because I always feel like I'm just pretending to be an adult as an artist. <laughs> so if someone has a real job, like a lawyer or an accountant, I'm like, oh gosh, I have a master's degree, but mine's an MFA. Theirs is, you know, they had to go to law school. They had to take the LSAT to get this right. degree. <laughs> but I feel like it's just also so unique and interesting to me to have those conversations because it's such a different world than the world I live in. So approaching them and have, talking to them and being open-minded, it's like, wow, that is what you do every day. That is so fascinating to me. And it is more interesting than I give credit to it sometimes, I think, as well. Yeah, I, I feel like we're having all these conversations about how to connect with people after the pandemic and also just our modern lifestyle just makes us so busy with important and unimportant things. And yeah. so we are less sort of close-knit as communities. And so it seems like saying, how do you make a friend as an adult is something that maybe my grandparents wouldn't talk about. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's kind of a modern situation. And so I think it bears repeating like what the value is in it. I just had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone who, you know, I was thinking about this topic. And so, of course, you know, you just see it everywhere. I see it all over social media. And so I had this conversation with someone and she basically was saying, I don't have time. I don't have time for friends. I'm exhausted. I'm working really hard with my kids and my job. And if I have five minutes, I want to recharge by myself. And so making, I know what effort it takes to make. And I'm just at this phase of my life, not willing to make it. And then I had another friend post on social media, basically saying, I've been a horrible friend for years now and I want to change it. Like kind of what can I do? And I thought that's really unusual. You don't usually see it so like plainly stated yes. like that. And so what is the value of making new friends as an adult? I know for me, I can get in a place where I don't think I need it, where I am so busy. Like when you talked about your first friend who said, I need that time for myself. I need to recharge. And what I find in myself is I get to that place where I am exhausted because I'm running around and doing a million projects and running a business and running a family and all of these things that it's really easy for me to think that the best use of my time is alone time. And then I can start down a downward spiral. And it really is one thing I have tried to do, especially after the pandemic, where I felt very disconnected all of a sudden, like I couldn't go see people and and it was everything was confusing. I was trying to navigate how to stay social during that time was I just, and everyone was home. So I would call people. I called you and Chris during the pandemic. Yeah. I think, I think we talked for like five hours one day. <laughs> we looked at the phone and we were like, that's, that's so long, a long time. Yeah. But we hadn't seen each other we for hadn't, so long. Yeah. And so I try to call a friend every day because even if I can't see someone in person, it's just for me a recharge. And I'll think of old friends or even more acquaintances. Maybe it's someone from my boy's school. And it's like, hey, is it okay if my son comes over today and we connect on this and I'd be happy to help you with this party or or whatever it is so that I'm cultivating those acquaintances as well. I think for me, acquaintances are hard, but I do think they're important for my children and for raising a family. And so that's one thing I've been trying to work on more after a pandemic and also raising teenagers. When kids are toddlers, it's like, I can bring the graham crackers. But when they're teenagers, I feel so disconnected from my children's parents, like the parents of my children's right. friends and that type of thing. So. I know it's hard because it used to be I, when my kids were little, it was the most convenient to make new friends who were in the same boat as I was. Oh, we both have toddlers. This is crazy. Hey, you watch my toddler while I go to the store. I'll watch yours while you go to the store. And and then you end up talking and becoming friends. And it, that doesn't happen. That stops when they become preteens and teens it in a lot of ways. It really does. And then you feel disconnected from their friend groups a bit more, even if they're at 
their house, they don't really want to hang out with you the whole time. Right. And it's like, wait, who are your friend's parents? Where do they live? Now they live 20 miles away instead of across the street because they're in high school or they're in junior high. So I think cultivating acquaintances, I don't think those are shallow moments. I think they're important for the community, which I also feel isn't as tight-knit as when I was young. Mm -hmm. I just don't. I think social media, we get down these vacuums of screens and we get down really over-scheduling ourselves in our lives that, like you said, we don't have time for anything else. But then we start to feel like alone and we want that connection. So You brought up a really good point that I hadn't really considered in how you judge the value of each friendship sort of differently. Like, you know, we always say acquaintance as it's like a negative thing, but it can be a really positive thing. You're not going to be best friends with everyone, you know, and tell them your deepest, darkest secrets. Well, I hope not, but (laughs) I mean, some people, I'm an oversharer. I'm working on it anyway, but, (laughs) but instead of saying I'm getting rid of a group of friends, for this group of, it's not like that no. as an adult. And I think it, it would it serve us a lot better if we just sort of thought of it in that way. Like you don't have to just abandon friendships to make room for new ones. There can be differing levels of friendship. Yes. And I think that place of abundance, right? And I think because I teach children and I work with a lot of parents of children, I feel close to them, but they don't know my deepest, darkest secrets. They don't know what I'm going through every day, but I do still consider them part of my life and very sincere people that I care about and would want to be there for. Mm -hmm. So I like, I do like that thought. It's not even something I really formed. It just kind of came out, but I like that idea of just abundance because and different levels of friendships and them not necessarily being negative because they're small. Yeah, Yeah. or that you only speak every once in a while. Instead of feeling guilty and bad about that, saying, isn't it so great that we can connect when we do? Yes. You know, it reminds me of when my oldest, Miles, was really little. He, (laughs) you know, was my oldest. And so it was just us for a while and we'd go to the park and he wasn't used to, you know, what my other kids were used to, which is a house full of craziness, you know. And we would go to the park and he was just so friendly and sweet and outgoing. And he would talk to a kid like, hey, do you want to go down the slide together? And the kid would be like, sure, I guess, you know. (laughs) (laughs) whatever. And they would go down the slide, you know, play together for 10, 15 minutes. And the look on his face of just like total glee and excitement when he'd run over to me, mom, I made a new friend, you know, and it's just like, that's how I feel sort of inside. I'm sort of a little Pollyanna when it comes to that of like meeting new people that I think are so fun and interesting. Like you just want to collect great people to sort of be in your sphere. And, and, And so, so, Somewhere along the line, as we get older, we sort of overthink it and judge what does this mean to be this person's friend and, you know, what are the criteria? And I I think that's a really kind of an odd thing. I think it is odd that we do that because we almost need the opposite older, too. We need more abundance and more people that we can rely on and just those light conversations. I remember when I was little, my mom would talk to the grocery store clerk for like, two hours right. when we would go to Albertsons <laughs> and my dad would wait in the station wagon and we would just sit there and wait and wait. But she's just was so friendly and loved talking to people. And that recharged her and made her feel so good. And it's, I don't think they're lifelong friends. I don't <laughs> know if she even remembers the grocery store clerk's name, but I think that's like the innocence of a child and the eagerness and ability of a child is something like I'm trying to get back to as a person too, because I yeah. feel post-pandemic and during pandemic, there's just parts of me that hardened and I want to be softer. I want to be more lovely, like more accepting those types of things. So, Well, and that's a beautiful way to express it. I'm really curious when you look at your group of friends now as an adult, like how has it changed? Like the criteria of what you look for when say you were little or when you were maybe in college, you know, or at different stages of your lives, how has it transformed? You know, oddly, I don't think it has that much. Really? Yeah. I think that I've always, one thing that I'm just so drawn to in friendship is humor. It's like, if someone can make me laugh, I don't really care how much money you make, what you do, where you live. I couldn't care less about those things. I just love people that make me laugh and are really intelligent. And I feel like I've always been drawn to those type of people, even as a child. And so I feel like... I often joke that my adult friends I could have gone to high school with or they could have gone to junior high with me or they could have trained with me when I was 
training to be a ballet dancer young. But I think it's just the type of person that I grab onto. I love intelligent people, but if you are hilarious, you have my heart forever. (laughs) That's so true. It's so pure, right? Like it's just, I really relate to that. (laughs) Which is why I love you. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Right back at you. (laughs) And why you and Chris worked so well together. Oh my gosh. It got a little silly though. (laughs) Got a little ridiculous, which I love. (laughs) There's no one funnier than Chris. No, it's true. It's true. true. He just is. Confirmed. I won't even argue with you on that. So when you inevitably like see your kids sort of making friends or you notice other people who you love in your life, either making friends or not making friends, is there a way that you sort of want to direct them towards like the quote unquote right kind of friends for them, which is, you know, different for each one of us? Do you see it like that? I do. I mean... Isn't that the hardest part of parenting, allowing your children to be themselves and not thinking that you're smarter than them? Right. (laughs) And being like, you should be friends with with her. her. You should be friends with him. You should ask this girl to the dance. I don't know why I I still do that. (laughs) They're always like, okay, thanks. Should I ask him for a play date? And I'm like, okay, all right, all right. Settle down. No, it's true. It's like, why don't you ask so-and-so to homecoming? Mom, I don't want to go with her. I want to go with, you know, and it's like, it is that type of thing where I think that's just such an innate part of parenting, you know, the loveliest quotes about parenting are like, we're not raising our children to be who we want them to be, but to be their best selves. And I just see my boys and I do think that they choose good friends, but sometimes (laughs) I might have more judgment than other times. So very well said, very diplomatic. (laughs) It is true. Okay. So we've talked about, you know, the value of having these kinds of friends and, and different friends. Um, as an adult, to those who don't have time for friends or just stick to their family, and that's just sort of their philosophy, like I don't have friends outside my family or whatever, what's your pitch to them to get friends? I would say think what you're robbing your children and think what you're robbing your family because I even look at your family and I look at your vast amount of friends and how they have become a second family to your family. And what would your children do without them? So I would say not everyone needs a huge net, but I think it's also what you can give to other people. So even from a less selfish standpoint, but you might be robbing them of the friendship they need from you. So that's what I would say. That's my pitch to having friends outside of your family. was produced by Lisa Valentine Clark, McKay Menden, Maggie Faulkner, and Tabby Freitas. A special thanks to our Council of Moms, Katie Craig, Casey Faulkner, and Amy Bingham. And a special thanks to Amy Daughters. You can find her book on Amazon out today. If you want to continue the conversations we started, please join our group on Facebook called The Lisa Show Listener Community. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would really appreciate it. Next week on the show, I don't want to take a lot of your time, but I have an important question and I want you to be really honest. Okay. Explain what your kids do on a typical summer day. They sleep in how like... 12 or 1, probably. And then they probably get up and stay in their bed till like 3 or 4, like looking at their phone, <laughs> like, watching YouTube and TikTok. And then maybe they get up, maybe they move to their computer at that point. So do you have this ideal of what you just wish that they would do every day during the summer? No, I've given up. No, okay. I've given up. That's next week on The Lisa Show.